Welcome back to the second episode of My Own Lens. Today, I had the opportunity to speak to Steve Brucker about the education system. Steve has been a teacher for 33 years and was California Middle School Teacher of the Year in 1998, Southwest Middle School Teacher of the Year in 1999, and another national title for Teacher of the Year in that same year. He also wrote a book called Table Tennis and the Education Program and have been involved in six research studies. I hope you guys enjoy this podcast. Mr. Brucker, how are you? Yes. Good. Very good. Well, I know that it's an extremely strange time to be a teacher, especially you know, not being in front of students. So how are you adjusting to it? And well, yeah, what are you it doing? has been difficult. Uh, the, what's difficult is I like the face-to-face and having to use internet, either Zoom or making videos just is not fun. I got to be honest with you, but uh, I can adjust to anything. Yeah. Yeah. So one of the one of the main things that most teachers that are talking about is not being in front of students. And do you think that that's affecting students learning as well? Oh, absolutely. I think students are feeling that they're disconnected also. Yeah, they're disconnected from their friends. And now they're disconnected from their teachers. Yeah. So how long have you been teaching and what do you teach? Well, I am a physical educator. I spent 33 years at the middle school level. Mm -hmm. And since 1993, I got the privilege of training teachers. I've traveled the country and somewhat traveled the world. I've been in India and France teaching teachers. And I've worked independently as a consultant. And then I've worked for various companies. And then the last four years, Uh, I was invited to teach a methods course in the education department and then the kinesiology department at Cal State San Marcos said, hey, you're you're working with them. Will you work with us? And so now I teach both in the kinesiology department and in the secondary ed department. Oh, wow. Okay. So going back to the early days when you were starting your career, what was the education system like? And your upbringing around that education system like was it a big influence in you wanting to become a teacher well i think i knew early on that i had the gift of teaching i i was a leader with my friends everybody followed me in fact that's what my mom said (laughs) said that whatever you wanted to do everybody wanted to do with you and as far as my schooling all i can remember i don't have great major memories of elementary and high school. And so as far as I remember, my schooling was solid. Uh, There's no excuses for any of my lack of knowledge. And my only drawback was that I was more into athletics than I was being a student. Mm. Baseball and football and everything else was more important than academics. So as I went through elementary and high school and the beginning of my college, uh, I was baseball, sports first, students second. Was that what led you into becoming a physical educator? Oh, yes, absolutely. I wanted to be a coach. I wanted to be a high school Mm. coach. But finally, I, I... became a student and realized that I had some capabilities as a student was Mm -hmm. when I got into my major, I was a physical education major. And when I got into my major and the kinesiology classes and the physiological physiology class, excuse me, Mm -hmm. then all of a sudden this was exciting to me. And then of course, 
before my senior year, or actually during my senior year, now that I look back, I got married. Oh, wow. And many people are going, wow, you know, married at <laughs> 21, you're crazy. Yeah. But because of marriage, I had to grow up real fast. And mm -hmm. I became an excellent student once I got married. My grade yeah. point average jumped from about a 2.8 to about a 3.8 once I got wow. married. <laughs> wow. so, so that might be an answer to for a lot of students how to get married <laughs> at, a, at a young age to, to grow. Well, to you, grow become, you become responsible. <clears throat> Oh yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, twenty-one years old. <laughs> yes. I mean, I can't imagine what I'm. Yeah, twenty-one years old. I'm not thinking about marriage. But go on with your story. Sorry. Oh no, that's 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 it. And and so, when I was in high school, and as I was playing, I knew deep down in my heart, if I didn't make it in professional sports, mm -hmm. I was going to coach. It just seemed a natural thing that I did well was mm. was teaching others and it hasn't changed I teach others and everything I do if I'm playing disc golf which I'm I love to do if there's a beginning player I immediately move into well let me help you mm -hmm. <laughs> type mode so I think I have a natural gift for teaching yeah now did, did you find that gift when you were a kid or was there someone that influenced you and you looked up upon and be like I want to be like that person when I grow when I grow up well, I definitely had a teacher that had a tremendous in, impact on me during college. Mm -hmm. Dr. Stan Basson taught the hardest class in our major. In fact, there were individuals who ran from him. They went to other <laughs> colleges to take his motor learning class because oh, wow. it was so demanding. And what, it, what, what made it demanding was not only did we have to read the book. Here's an interesting thing is that if you didn't read the chapter and you came to class unprepared, he would kick you out of class. He'd say, Steve, get out of class. You, you need to read the chapter before you can enter into my class. Well, that toughened up a lot of students then, huh? Oh, yeah. And then every two weeks, we had a research paper due. We had to do research and then write up a 20-page study on that research. And uh, it, it was demanding. For every two final, weeks? But every two weeks, wow. all the way through the well, we were on a trimester system. All the way through mm. the trimester, wow. every two weeks, we had this research paper. So mm -hmm. I was putting uh, hundreds of hours of work into this class, and finally, I had a B going into the final. And a friend of mine had a D. He was on the baseball team. If he doesn't pass, he doesn't play. So mm -hmm. he said, "Can you help me?" And before class started, two hours before, I started outlining everything he should know on in the classroom that we were going to take the final and so when i took the final because i had to teach him i knew the material so well i got the highest grade on the final and wow. the teacher told me you had a b going in but i <laughs> i couldn't help but give you an a because you had the highest grade on the final so it was and it was all because of the that reteaching huh? <laughs> that my friend passed the class wow he got a c I got an A, he got a C, everybody was happy. So you retaught the entire, the entire course to your friend within two hours and outlined it <laughs> for him and passed the course for him. Wow. Well, so, <laughs> I no, was going to say, every teacher knows this to be true. Every teacher knows that if whatever you teach, you learn more than the students do. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, well, now we're now going back to um 
through your years of education, it seems to have had a you know a positive impact in your life. However, that's not the case for a lot of the uh, uh, education system around you know different societies. So, what, throughout your career, what are some of the issues that you've seen that have reoccurred? Yeah, I'm gonna delve into one area that I think has done damage to the education system. Now, mm -hmm. I don't want anybody listening to this think that I'm down on education. For me, it was mm -hmm. a great profession and I highly recommend it, but I think there are some philosophies that have done some damage. And the, and the first one is postmodernism, the idea that there is no truth, mm -hmm. that there's only personal truth and there's no what, what we would call objective truth. Right. And yeah. out of postmodernism comes this teaching strategy called constructivism. Now, constructivism has been around a long time. So what is it? What is it? It, basically, here's a, here's a definition I got from a book. It says that only constructed knowledge, which one finds out for oneself, is truly integrated and understood. Basically, it is saying there is no truth. You have mm -hmm. your truth, and as a teacher, don't force your truth on others. So almost, it's telling you don't teach. They have to find their truth within them. And it's based on a false premise that only discovered knowledge is valuable. Hmm. And so again, uh, there's a clever constructive saying, and, and here it is, you are to be the guide on the side and not the sage on the stage. So in other words, don't teach content, bring it out of them, use questions, use hmm. other means to bring the knowledge that they have within them. And, I think that's totally false. Yeah. And I was a leader of a, what was called a physical education subject, subject matter project in San Diego. Mm -hmm. And they told us right up front that the reigning philosophy of this subject matter project was constructivism. Well, we were going along and we weren't, weren't really following constructivism to the letter. And we, we were noticing how poorly prepared the teachers who came to us. These are physical educators in the San Diego County area. And we noticed that their lack of knowledge and this sort of thing. So we decided to help them by having them videotape lessons. And then we would evaluate their teaching. And once we evaluated it, we then knew what we needed to do to help them. Well, the heads of state, the ones that oversee this study, saw that we were teaching too much. They said what we did was, was good, but we weren't following constructivism. Therefore, they ended our subject matter project. They just said we wow. were not following the proper philosophy. Even though they said what you did was good for those teachers, we're going to stop you because you're teaching too much. Huh. Now, <laughs> is, is, that, is that why it's hard to hire and retain teachers as well, just because of these you know, fundamental rules? Well, so much of this is ingrained in our teacher education classes that they come fully thinking that this is the only way to teach, that you have to pull knowledge. You don't give knowledge, you pull it out of the student. And mm. much of the, the, what we would call the training that goes on, once they're student teachers and then they go on and there's a BITSA provider, somebody who oversees their, their teaching when they're 
in their first few years, well, that VITSA provider will follow what, what we call cognitive coaching. And again, that's based on postmodernism. And they won't specifically help the teacher. They will try to let the teacher find their own way and, and fight their way through it. And again, teachers aren't learning the basics from veterans. That's the way we learn. It, I think mm -hmm. it's just a, a false way of approaching what we would call pedagogy, how we learn. Yeah. Do you I think, think it's, it's just false. Do you think it's, it's that move into kind of the new age of, you know, like you said, the postmodern thinking of the more freeing state of mind and trying to ingrain that, ingrain that in, into um, students in, or into the school system now? Well, you know, I have seen this philosophy going on for years. In fact, it started in the early 1900s and it finally surfaced probably 20 years, 20, 30 years ago. And it is still the, the prevailing model. And I think it has to do with, a lot of it has to do with belief systems that are passed on in the universities and in these teacher prep classes. And so I don't follow it. Mm -hmm. I, I know that I'm effective in doing what I do. Yeah. And I'm not going to let that get in the way. And I think teachers need to understand that. I wish more teachers understood the philosophy behind education. Because I, I agree with you. I think some are leaving once they realize they can't, they're not supposed to teach. Yeah. They're supposed to be guides, facilitators, but not teachers. And I think this, this is hurting the, the education system. Mm. Another area, let me, uh, I'll talk more about it later, but another mm -hmm. area is there's not much taught in the area of class management, how mm. to discipline students, how to structure your classroom. Yeah. And I'll get to that later, but I think that's another one reason why teachers are leaving the profession. Yeah, well, speaking of ma managing classrooms, you there is also a reason. Uh, one of the reasons that I've been reading is that uh, misbehavement of kids in the classroom and uh, teachers not being able to being able to manage the kids. Now, is that what is that one of the main reasons as to why teachers leave their job as well? Oh yeah, uh, they're keeping disruptive kids. They force them to stay in your classroom. Kids yeah. can be violent towards a teacher, throw mm -hmm. things at a teacher, and a teacher cannot suspend that student and get them out of their classroom. And how so are you going to feel that your life sometimes is endangered or your yeah. health is endangered mm -hmm. when, when these, especially in some of these big cities, uh, yeah. this is going on and teachers are bailing in those cities. Uh, it's hard to retain teachers when students are disrespectful and the administration, not, I wouldn't say necessarily the school administration, but above them from the board level uh, on down, they're saying, keep them in your classroom. Doesn't matter what they do. And wow. So how, how, would, how would you be able to handle a kid or if, if you've had any run in the past before? <laughs> That's a great question. Have yeah. I had any run in? Absolutely. Every teacher that I've ever yeah. taught for 33 years uh, has had run-ins. And I'm not sure I always handled it the best way possible. Mm -hmm. uh, 
it's, it's always, tough on the. I would imagine it's really tough for the teacher because you know we're you guys you're dealing with a kid that doesn't know anything and you have to handle him or you know you have to handle them a different way and you can't involve emotions in in, in it. Oh, and it's very hard not to involve emotions yeah. in it, uh, especially when they are attacking you verbally. Uh, <laughs> Over the last couple years, I tried to structure my class in such a way that those encounters would be minimized. And they have, they did. The last couple years, I thought, through excellent strategies in class management, I didn't have many confrontations that I had to deal with. And, and then once you don't have many confrontations, you can on occasion, use the vice principal. I used to use the phone as, as my main, main weapon. I would call home when I was having problems. And many times uh, I would have the kid talk to mom and say, okay, tell them what you just did. Boy, the kid turns red faced. Uh. <laughs> uh, you ought to hear the parent. And so I used the phone as my main, yeah. main weapon. But if I had to, uh, I would send them to the the office. And because I did it so infrequently, the vice principal knew that this person really did something serious. And yeah. I got excellent backing at that point. If you abuse the system and send everybody to the office, uh, it's, a, it's a losing situation. You can't do that. Mm -hmm. You have to deal with the vast majority and the phone and a relationship with the parents uh, is, I find, the, the strongest deterrent you have. Yeah. Yeah, well, one of the things that um, is most brought up is that a lot of kids that grew up in lower socioeconomic uh, families, they oftentimes experience trauma at home. And the result of that is them not knowing how to communicate with students or teachers in school and so how as a teacher how would you help a kid that's been through trauma uh, been through trauma at home well you got to realize as a physical education teacher we deal with class sizes of anywhere uh, from 45 to 60 students mm -hmm. so we are the last to know about issues at home because uh, mm. we it's hard to develop relationships to find those things out and yeah. so the first thing I, I do is just make sure my classroom is a, a safe place mm -hmm. that they can come to my classroom and they can feel safe that they're not going to get harmed in my classroom either from bullies or from anybody else uh, that this is a safe place but if I do find out about trauma schools are equipped with counselors and a referral to a counselor for one-on-one -on -one with that student and that adult is sometimes the best because I don't have the time or the resources to be able to do that, yeah. which mm -hmm. is why counselors are so valuable in schools, especially today mm -hmm. uh, with, with some of the issues that are going on with parents and children. Yeah. Well, do you think that mental health um, is being talked about enough for both the teachers and students? You know, it, it didn't come across my 
area of expertise or, or knowledge. Uh, we didn't talk about those sort of things. Uh, mm -hmm. The school itself would have after school programs and counselors would run groups to deal with students with certain behavior issues that were going on at home. But as far as teachers' mental health, yeah, there is. I think that's something that not many people talk about because teachers no. go through a lot of stress as well. No, you're exactly right. Uh, and it's just kind of pushed under the carpet, which could be another reason why we're losing teachers right and left. Mm. Well, what do, you, what do you think is a solution that could help, um, you know, bring awareness for teachers in terms of mental health? Would it be funding or, you know, well, what is it? Or what do you think? You know, I don't really have any great solutions in this area. Uh, for me, I, I, because I have a faith in a, in a belief system mm -hmm. that is strong, that gets me through. Right. And I have a wife that <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> uh -huh. I can come home and unload. Yeah. But for all those other teachers that uh, don't have good protective services or methods, they gotta be on the I, I can't for tell it, you huh? exactly, yeah. uh, you know, there, there are psychologists, there are people, professionals that are well, out I, there. I think, I think that's one of the, that's just one of the things that um, people don't talk about anyways, is just keeping our even physical and mental health, hap, um, you know, healthy is even during a pandemic like this, the, no one is stressing the importance of, you know, staying physically fit and everyone's talking about when the vaccine is coming out and all of that, but um, not to steer too far away from the conversation, <laughs> but uh, because of, you know, the success you've had in your career and the, the amount of um, people that you've taught, how do, you, how do you shape someone to becoming a good teacher and what does that training look like? Okay, well, um, some of the areas that uh, I, I like to focus on is to teach lifetime activities, to focus on a lifetime. One of my visions, I, a vision statement is, is looking to the future, and it's mm -hmm. usually one sentence. And so one of my key visions is this little statement, becoming a lifetime mover. And so everything I have is structured around that, that if I violate that in, in my grading system, in, the, in my discipline system, in anything I do, then those things need to change because I want to make sure that when my students leave my class and become adults, mm -hmm. I want them to be lifetime movers, lifetime exercisers, getting right. into a gym, getting, staying active, because uh, mm -hmm. we have too much inactivity in, in society. Yeah. Um, I also focus a lot on social skills and becoming a member of a team. I think I'll talk about that later too, but social mm -hmm. skills is a centerpiece. How to care for others, especially verbally, uh, how mm -hmm. to use positive statements to replace any of the negative statements that students make. Because at the age of middle school, there's a lot of bullying, there's a lot of things said that as a physical educator, we see it and we can deal with it. And I, I deal with it in a positive manner. 
I tried the negative. I tried to get rid of it by making yeah. rules and, and it didn't work. But when I started teaching social skills and a social skill is simply a skill that helps a student work in a cooperative group and then like each other when they're done. Mm -hmm. And they, they can do that by using encouragement, demonstrating re respect, accepting personal differences, complimenting. These are all social skills that I learned how to incorporate into my, my classes and then give students feedback when they're using mm -hmm. them. And it changed the entire environment of my class. I also try to increase physical activity. I try to keep their heart rates up so that I can fight against obesity and type right. two diabetes. Yeah. I use the good class management strategies so that kids feel safe. I try to use a lot of equipment so that everybody is active. Mm -hmm. And I, I change the types of equipment. It's important that students can choose between, say, a foam football and a regular football. Some students are afraid to catch a regular football. So I had foam footballs to minimize that fear. Yeah. And then I challenge kids to work hard and then, of course, to have fun in the process. So that's what I've tried to pass on to my students, both in my methods class, my what I would call, and you were in my Canise 311 class, yeah. and then uh, the, my liberal arts students who have a, what, what they call a PE 203. They are individuals who are headed towards becoming a, a uh, elementary teacher, and they're going to be, for, for the most part, especially in California, expected to teach physical education. Wow, okay. Sorry, there's there's a construction going on. Oh my god. Okay. Anyways, <laughs> <laughs> so um, I want to go back to your the early days in your career. Like speaking of you know all the experiences that you've had leading up to um, teaching other people, what was that training like when you became a teacher, and how old were you when you started training? Well, I was. I graduated with my BS in physical education, and then I went right into the credential program. And I got to tell you, I did not have uh, a great program uh, that I went through. The, I don't remember anything from my training. They pretty much just threw you out there and said, you know, survive. Yeah. I remember one instructor, I was supposed to teach a couple lessons in in volleyball and he realized that i really had a a knack for teaching so the the university professor just let me teach the rest of the semester the teacher just disappeared and he took advantage of the fact that uh, you know i had the skills as a student teacher and he just let me go and so I didn't get much training. That is my point. And I so just kind of threw, threw you into the lion's den and just said, here you go, huh? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. Here, swim, throw, yeah. throw you into the pool and, yeah. and say, okay, let's see how well you swim. And that's, uh, well, I'm pretty sure uh, that also taught you to, you know, get it together really quickly as well. Well, they did. And I got, yeah. but I got to tell you, this happens to all teachers, no matter how well prepared you are, when you get your own class, mm -hmm. 
you're going to struggle. Yeah. I don't know of many teachers who have jumped right in and had instant success. There is like a three year getting beat up process. <laughs> and no, I certainly went through those three years of getting beat up. I was, I look back and I think to myself, uh, I was a, I was a terrible teacher when I first started and it took those years and those are valuable years because you learn from your mistakes. And so uh, I learned a ton in my first three years, but my students had to suffer through my uh, weaknesses as, as a teacher. And, and, uh, but again, it, it goes back to, the lack of preparation. I was not prepared to step in, even though I had done some coaching. And I think, again, now they have BITSA where they're supposed to have people that come alongside on all campuses, these first year teachers and help them. And I, I hope they're doing a better job than when I was in a <laughs> sink or swim situation. Yeah. yeah. Now, when you said you had to go through that three-year period of, you know, really figuring out what you were doing and how you were going to do it. Within that period, do you see a lot of teachers quitting? Within the first five years is, there's, I don't know, I can't guess, but there's a high percentage of teachers within the first five years quit. Yeah. If you make it through the first five years, then you probably are going to have a career in teaching. But I can see why, you know, I, I had, I was in my mind a gifted teacher and I had done some coaching. So I came in with some experience. And even though I look back and are very, I'm very critical of my uh, ability to, to teach in those first few years, but I was committed, you know, I was committed that no matter what, I was gonna stay with this. This was what I wanted to do and, and I was gonna fight through those first yeah. few years. But some people say, you know, I could have a career in this or that, or what you have is people who leave a career thinking that maybe I'll become a teacher and then they realize it's, it's harder than they think and they go back to the profession they left. Yeah. Well, one of the things that you were talking about earlier was the productivity that um, is involved in classes. And I remember you, you were also saying how a lot of classes, they don't um, maximize or optimize productivity. Now you did a, you did a study um, called uh, piloting strategies to increase physical activity. So in that study, walk me through the process and what did you find that was effective uh, throughout the study? Well, actually, that was a article we wrote for the professional journal, a team of us wrote, and it was looking at a teaching strategy. It, it really wasn't uh, per se a study, it was a teaching strategy. And uh, I'll get to that in a second, but I was part of what is called the healthy study. For six mm -hmm. years, I was on this national study and the objective of the study was to see if we could make physiological change in students. And to do that, we, were, we developed materials and teaching strategies that would impact three major areas, uh, 
the, the three major areas were how te physical education teachers taught. So I, that was part of my job description was I was gonna change teaching behavior and get them to increase physical activity. Then we changed the food. We worked with the food services of the district and get them to lower fat, lower sugar, push more water and this sort of thing. And then we had health messages and both in the classroom taught by usually science teachers, they would do different topics such as, such as water, why water is important versus all the sugar drinks and this sort of thing. And then we also, part of the messaging was to put up posters all over the campus promoting healthy behaviors. So that was called the Healthy Study, and I was on it for six years, and there were seven universities that were part of it. And when we got going for the last three years, we tested over 6,000 students. We drew wow. blood and this sort of thing on 6,000 students during sixth grade and then during eighth grade to see if we had made any changes. And yeah. uh, we made some changes, but not as much as we had hoped. Now, what, what, what are the changes that need to occur or the process that needs to occur to see those changes? Well, as far as teaching, physical educators, mm -hmm. the, I'm really a, a big advocate of using effective teaching strategies to get, get kids moving. Let me get back to that uh, high activity skills yeah. progression that you mm -hmm. mentioned uh, paper. That is a teaching strategy by which you start teaching your students, your class using shadow practice. Shadow mm -hmm. practice is, is going through the, the steps of a skill without equipment. It's, it's, the name shadow comes from shadow boxing, where a boxer will, will practice with an invisible opponent and duck and move and this sort of That's thing. Right, well, yep. I can teach volleyball, table tennis, basketball. I can teach all skills without the equipment. And so that's, that's the first step. You, you shadow the skill. Then the second step is that you partner the students up and, and they, they work with a, a stationary partner. Then the third is to move towards challenges because kids will get bored if you spend too much time just working with a partner. Say you're doing a chess pass. If mm. you chess pass with a partner, after a while, they're, they're not gonna keep active or they're gonna start fooling around. So you add challenges. How many catches can you make in 20 seconds? Yeah. Uh, for every two catches, step back. Hmm. Then, so you've done shadow, you've done partner stationary, you've done challenges. Then you move to where the partner is moving. So now you're, you're throwing to a moving target. Then from there, you, you go to what we call a two-on-one keep away. But now you have a defender. You've added that element. Then you move to a three-catch game that is just who can make three catches, you score a point. And then you go to a three catch game where they move actually in a direction, just like ultimate, what we call ultimate Frisbee. You can use any piece of equipment to move in a direction. Yeah. This is a skills progression that keeps kids active. And so if I'm 
training teachers, I always train them in how to do this because this is crucial that we teach skills because skills are going to affect lifetime performance. A highly mm -hmm. skilled yep. student is more apt to play those activities later on. And so uh, skills are extremely important when it comes to future movers, future physical, edu not educators, but physical activity that they, they will continue uh, as a adult and get at, stay active. Now, do you think that that method is being implemented into schools across uh, America? Uh, no, <laughs> very mm. little. Yeah. Uh, I what, 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 what do you think is a common way of teaching physical, physical education is, or like, you know, if, if I were to go, you know, start training to become a physical educator, what do you think is the most common, uh, Thing that they teach that you know should not be a certain way but they still do it anyways well uh, a lot of it has to do with lack of equipment they mm. you have programs that have very little equipment that hurts three basketballs for a class yeah. of 50 is is mm -hmm. terrible and so uh, lack of funding contributes to that one but another issue is control a lot of teachers want complete control, so they only allow a few people during skill instruction to participate while everybody else stands in line. And that standing in line is, it's deadly for multiple reasons. One, it lowers MVPA. Two, the kids get bored and they start disrupting each other. Yeah. And it just, minimizes the skill instruction because I want, let me give you an example that, to tell you. I mm -hmm. went and saw a school that was teaching lacrosse and they had 54 students in the class and they had six lacrosse sticks and three balls. And what, what happened was they were in six lines, line one and two start, the first two people who have the sticks are playing catch. They go out to a cone, turn around and come back. While they're going out, the, there's two lines of about eight students. That's 16 students are standing around. You talk about MVPA, moderate <laughs> to vigorous physical activity yeah. killer. Mm -hmm. And those students are completely bored and they're not mm. working on the skill. That's why the high activity skills progression with partnerships, they're always moving, they're always catching, they're throwing, they're... Mm practicing the skill they're keeping their heart rates up they're they're not misbehaving because they're active and so a lot of it is sometimes it's equipment many times it's it's control and other times teachers don't want to teach and they yeah. go right to games mm -hmm. uh, there's lots of reasons why that happens but rather than teaching the skills let's it's easier to put them in games yeah. and then just set them, send them out there. And again, that that's the kids are learning nothing. Mm -hmm. uh, those that are good athletes are having fun because they're, they're successful. Those yeah. who aren't uh, are struggling. Right. So do you, do you see a huge difference between the uh, Western education and the uh, Asian education? Or like, do you study any of the training or the other philosophies? No, I, I really haven't. Uh, mm. I've uh, 
focused mainly on what goes on in the U.S. because uh, I worked for a company that sent me all around the U.S. Mm -hmm. And so uh, I, I've seen lots of good teaching. Mm -hmm. I've also seen lots of bad teaching because I've yeah. observed lots of classes. And it breaks <laughs> my heart as a teacher, just like any profession, uh, it breaks their heart. Uh, when I see bad teaching, I just wish they'd get rid of them. Yeah. Because mm -hmm. I have found in working with teachers how difficult it is to get rid of bad teachers or to help them. Yeah. Uh, I've tried to help bad teachers and either they don't want to change or they don't think they can change. And if they've been teaching 15, 20, 30 years, mm -hmm. uh, it's so frustrating. And I get a headache sometimes watching them teach. And I just wish they'd get out of teaching and let some of these young gung-ho individuals get a job and yeah. let's get them out of there and let's get some new people in that want to teach. But yeah. it just doesn't happen because the system a lot of times keeps bad teachers going. Now, the tenure sometimes protects bad teachers. Yeah, well, one of the thing that um, a lot of people or a lot of students that go through is the, the stress and competition. And I guess it has to, um, you know, has to do with the teacher as well on, you know, bad teachers assigning bad assignments. And we hear it throughout colleges as well. Now, to a certain extent, I would agree that the competition is good, but have you ever seen any cases where, you know, the competition or the pressure that the parents are putting on, um, you know, their kids are a little too much or when they should step back? Yeah, that's, uh, you know, a lot of times, alluding back to when you talked about other cultures and physical education, other cultures, many mm -hmm. times uh, the higher pressured parents, yeah. uh, kind of the tiger moms, mm -hmm. <laughs> shall we say, <laughs> yeah. come from other cultures. They, the U.S. parents, I think, are just the opposite in some cases. There are yeah. good parents, just like there's, there's good teachers. I don't want to sound so negative that I'm <laughs> putting everything down. I, it's sometimes just easier to talk about the negative yeah. because mm -hmm. uh, you want to root it out. You want, yeah. you want mm -hmm. to get rid of the negative. And yeah. there are some that I would say from other cultures that, that at times puts too much pressure on kids. Uh, the, the Asian culture many times... Uh, I've, I've noticed that, uh, but I, I think the biggest problem is too little of pressure mm -hmm. uh, is, is put on uh, kids today. Uh, you end up on the universities, you, you have safe spaces and yeah. crayons and coloring books mm -hmm. for people who heard a view they don't like and they can't take it. Mm -hmm. This just drives me nuts. Yeah, the, yeah, yeah. the number one factor, I saw a researcher on YouTube do a, a, a presentation and the, the research came back that the number one factor was not IQ, but mm. grit. Grit huh. being the ability to fight through when things get tough. And mm. that is the best indicator of success in schools. And I would say it's the best indicator of success in business. Yeah. Because things do go bad. They go mm -hmm. sideways. Yeah. And the, the ones that, that can 
wade through it and, and work through it and just double down, those individuals uh, succeed and those kids succeed. Mm -hmm. And so I think we need to help kids develop grit, uh, yeah. the ability to, to hang in there because life is not easy. Some, mm -hmm. <laughs> some person once said, life, life is, is tough and then you die. <laughs> just straight to the point well yeah the, the, exactly the... and so we we've i think we got in at least in the u.s mm -hmm. like i said other countries you know when i had kids i've been teaching a long time and there were a lot of times when kids came into the schools from vietnam yeah. and i would get those names that were uh you know 10 12 letters long uh, yeah. to try to pronounce them. It was very difficult. But those kids came in zero English, and yet they were highly motivated. Yep. And they learned the language quickly, and they ended up being the top of the class. Yep. Within six, seven months, they were producing at amazing levels. And yeah. a lot of it was the motivation, and, and I think a lot of it related to the culture. Yeah, well, that, that's one of the main things that um, I think it's instilled in the Asian culture. Not to say that it's not here, but a lot of times you see these um, students that come from, you know, outside of the country come in and work extremely hard because they know that this is their opportunity to work here and to, you know, start a life here. Whereas yes. the other people, the kids who are born in, the, in America, they have, they have born, in, they're born into a privilege where they don't even know it but these people are seeing it as an opportunity. So I think that's where the main difference comes in, you know, in healthy, in healthy competition, of course, where the kid who, you know, came from another country wanted to prove themselves in a new, in a new country. So I, I think in, in that sense, um, a lot of people uh, should look at positive competition that way. Yeah. I raised my kids in this environment and all three, went through public school and all three today are married, have kids and are successful. Mm -hmm. And yes, we had high expectations. And I think that's, that's what parents should have, mm -hmm. uh, that we should have high expectations as parents, but not unreasonable expectations. Yeah. And mm -hmm. I think that's where the danger lies. Yeah. Well, the, the thing that, um, you know, you, you see, especially now parents being at home and uh, I guess not knowing how to deal with, you know, teaching their kids or, you know, dealing with kids homework and being so close in such close proximity to the, for the kids. And especially children now aren't engaged in that much physical activity because they're asked to stay at home. So, you know, how can parents optimize or engage in physical activity with their kids? And if they're limited in supplies, you know, what are some of the things that they can do? Well, some of the thoughts I had on, on this issue is that, uh, first off, parents need to model it. This, this is our first stumbling block and maybe the biggest stumbling block. If parents don't model being active, then kids aren't going to be active. I think it's research says that so mm -hmm. the number one thing parents can do is they role are role. active number yeah. two then if you're active go out and play with your kids mm -hmm. be active with them there we have 
tons of parks and opportunities to be active. Yeah. Uh, if you're stuck at home during this pandemic, I know my daughter uh, has found programs online. That, mm, so that many available. programs. I don't yep. have what those are. Mm -hmm. You were saying? Oh, no, there are just a lot of different workout programs that are you know available because of this pandemic. A lot of different companies, but uh, I was just yes. pointing that out. Yeah. Yes. In fact, my daughter works out to one. She pays mm -hmm. an online service and works yeah. out daily. Mm -hmm. uh, she has a, she's made a workout room in her garage. All it's just, it's so convenient kids. now. It's so convenient, you know, with yes, the access is. to technology as well. It's yes. like, it's, you're paying for a gym membership at home. <laughs> now, one thing I did as a physical educator yeah. was I had what, what I call activity logs. Mm -hmm. It was part of their grade they were given points for not only being active, but they had to record it and they had to get a parent initial and a parent signature on the paper called an activity log. This was my way, because of, of, as a physical educator, of going beyond the classroom, because I knew that I don't have enough time with them. Yeah, I only have a 50 minute class, you take away 10 minutes or so getting dressed and that's so, so now I have 40 minutes and they're supposed to be active an hour a day and then I still have roll call and some management stuff mm. so if if I get them active say 25 minutes in my class that's not even half of what the recommendation is so yeah. uh, I had an activity log that the students did in every every three weeks, I'd give them a new one. And they, it's a two week activity log. And then I had a week to grade it and record their grade and then hand out a new one after that. And I had notes come back from parents thanking me. You know, mm. uh, I, I, I one, one parent said, my daughter does not like to go out, does not like to be physically active, but she wants an A in your class. <laughs> and so she's out being active when she wouldn't normally be active. And I want yeah. to thank you. Because We're giving of them that. an incentive to be active. Yeah. Which is, which is what I think a lot of people are missing as well is you can't just force a kid to be active. It's, you know, these kids are still growing and a lot of times it's, they need an extra push. And if you're doing it right, then, you know, everything turns out, turns out smoothly, like you said, but all right, I'll give you a scenario here. So okay. you have the chance to renew and change the education system. Uh, how would you do it and what would you do? Okay, well, I'm, I, I do a lot of reading and I'm convinced that the postmodern liberal system needs to be shelved. Mm -hmm. <laughs> we need to move from that to a more conservative model in education. I'm not talking politics here, yeah. I'm talking education. Mm -hmm. that, that's, and, I think that's the thing that a lot of people misinterpret, right? When they think more conservative, they immediately translate that into politics um, and they try not to steer that way. Yes, I think you're right. And there is a author that the liberal model hates, mm -hmm. <laughs> but I think the man is brilliant. Yeah. His name is E.D. Hirsch Jr., H-I-R-S-C-H, Jr. Mm -hmm. And he wrote a book that was recommended to me by a university professor from San Diego State it is called The Schools We Need, and then the subtitle is Why We Don't Have Them. Mm. 
And a lot of it is based on research and philosophy. There's a lot on philosophy. And, and here's where he is trying to encourage education programs and schools to move from the liberal education to a more conservative model. And so I highly recommend that. And then I another book I highly recommend is called The First Days of School by Harry and Rosemary Wong. And what that book teaches is how to structure your class. class teach, students, excuse me, students need routines and they need structure. And this book will give you insights how to do that. It's written for a classroom teacher, but I can tell you that I have gotten lots of good information and mm. motivation on how to structure my class. And this is all part of class management. Um, my class management system, I would love to see taught everywhere, but who mm -hmm. am I? <laughs> well, I mean, I you think, have a lot of credentials to, to, you know, to be spreading the word. <laughs> well, I, <laughs> the I, education system. I do that in, on the university level. And you know from being in my class that yeah. how passionate I get on yeah. class management. And mm -hmm. really, I have four areas that I focus on. One is routines in structure, mm -hmm. which I just talked about, and, and how Harry Wong is, is, is an expert in that area. The, the second is high expectations, that we as teachers need to raise our expectations. We're... We're lowering them year by year, and we're seeing that in test results, I yeah. think. Mm -hmm. And we need to raise those expectations. And I have high expectations for my physical education students. I believe they can give me 100% every day, uh, all year long. Mm -hmm. uh, third, that uh, we put things in to motivate students. And I put in both social skills to teach students how to encourage each other, but I also had a positive point system. Mm -hmm. that they could earn points through positive behavior, such as handing papers in, being on time, uh, dressing out every day, being active and, yeah. and giving 100%. That could earn you points towards your team. Mm -hmm. And team points, we had a system by which uh, teams then, at, by every Friday, we added up points to find out who won. And then that, so that's under motivation. Uh, there, there's other ways to motivate students. The, the fourth was good instructional strategies. Mm -hmm. Too many teachers don't know how to have station work and how to use what we call a reciprocal lesson where it's peer teaching and this sort of thing. And so uh, good instruction, motivation, high expectations and structure and routines are crucial for good class management. I also believe that we, we need training in how to increase physical activity and good curriculum. I was a spark trainer, mm -hmm. sports play and active recreation for kids. They've gone through some changes over the years, but I still advocate their materials. They have excellent lesson plans. And the lesson plans are geared towards increasing physical activity. So I think uh, we need that. Open PE, that, there's a website, openphysicaled.org. And it's an online program. I think it's done by U.S. Games. Mm -hmm. And it's free. They have lots of good lesson plans there. And 
I, I want to see the restoration of the physical education major at universities. And in so doing, that we train teachers in effective class management, effective instructional yeah. strategies, how to teach skills. All those things that I've talked about on this podcast mm -hmm. are need to be emphasized at universities. And I think that will only happen if we restore PE majors, which has mm -hmm. disappeared all through yeah. the nation. Mm -hmm. So, okay, well, one final question. If you were to be, if you were to leave behind one life principle that you live by, what would it be? All right. When I came back, uh, I was out for six years on the healthy study and I came back to my old school. Mm -hmm. It used to be Grant Middle School and they changed the name to Mission. And when I came back, I had all these ideas of class management and social skills, things they, I had been away from that school for 13 years. And yeah. so uh, one of the things I came with was this idea that teamwork leads to success. And I said, I want that to be a, a overarching theme mm. for our physical education department that we're going to embed in our students or teach our students that teamwork leads to success. Mm -hmm. Over the years, so much has been focused on the self-image of students. And I, when I think of self-image, I think in terms not of a good self-image, but an yeah. accurate self-image. Mm -hmm. People need to judge their abilities accurately rather than some phony good self-image. Yeah, it's a self-awareness, huh? Well, it, yeah, self-awareness as far as, and make mm -hmm. it realistic. But yeah. so much of self-image is focused on selfishness and focused mm -hmm. on self. and. Yep we need to focus on others and how to be a contributing mem member of a team. And by helping others, what we, what I found is it, it improves our image of ourselves when we help others. And this is a lifetime skill, being a yeah. member of a team. Mm. Teamwork leads to success. What am I talking about? Well, on, on a campus, I am part of the physical education department team. I'm mm -hmm. on a grade level team. I'm on a staff team. There's administrative teams. There's a, there are teams all over the campus. And not only that, any workplace is loaded with teams. Yeah. And so by focusing on teamwork, I am focusing on a lifetime skill and our entire department bought into it. Mm. And so the idea is that we have high and realistic ex expectations for individuals in those teams that they need to contribute to yep. the team. Uh, and, and I have found that this team model really helps me when I push high expectations. You mm. are hurting the team if you don't turn your work in, yeah. if you don't dress out, if you don't hustle, if you don't you're hurting your own team. You need to be a good team player. And then what it also does is it helps develop leadership. Mm -hmm. I was able to uh, develop leadership and also develop how to be a good follower. I, I told him, you can't be a leader unless you know how to follow. Yeah. Mm. Is, now, is, so, that, is that what a lot of, you know, teachers are missing when they are, you know, 
teaching at a young age because when they're teaching let's say middle schoolers these kids are still you know forming into their teenage and into the young adult age so I, a lot of teachers would you agree that they miss out the importance that in a way the kids are looking at them as a role model to you know you know the consistency of hard work like you said and team building that all comes from somewhere as somewhere if it doesn't come from at home yeah i i totally agree and this is why i felt extremely successful uh in pushing this because i knew that that students are going to succeed if they really learn how to work as a team i've heard high percentages of people that are fired from jobs and the main reason they're fired from jobs is they cannot work with a team mm -hmm. and so this became and it, it's also a positive so much of the time I've, I've kind of focused on some of the negatives i see in education but we can turn things around we can turn it around through good class management through teaching social skills and focusing on contributing as a member of a team so it because well we know that there are these you know problems that occur but you also talk about the benefits of you know being a teacher and the happiness that it has brought to you in your career and in your life as well now besides all the if it when it let's say an, uh, an aspiring teacher is looking to get into the field and you know they are too, but they are too caught up in all the news of teachers quitting and all the government fundings. How would you encourage someone to take in to step into this career because it is important for the future of the generation? Because these kids, they grew up, they need an education. You know, it's time, it's proven time and time again that people need education to be successful, and students need to optimize learning. So, how what would you say to a teacher, uh, uh, someone who wants to be a teacher? Don't let money persuade you away from it. Many people say, well, I can't make enough money. Well, do what you feel gifted to do. Do what you feel passionate to do. Mm -hmm. Nothing was going to stop me from being a teacher. Don't let the negative press, the negative everything that's said about teaching get in your way. There was a book I read many years ago that had a great title. It is parenting isn't for cowards. Mm -hmm. And <laughs> if you've ever been a parent, you know what I'm talking about. Well, I'm going to say the same thing about teaching. Teaching isn't for cowards. Mm -hmm. If you can't handle pressure, if you can't handle uh, some disruptions and, and that things aren't going to go well, then don't, don't teach. Mm -hmm. But thicken your skin, be prepared for everything, and learn, be a learner. You know, mm -hmm. that's, that's crucial, is leaders are learners. And as soon as you stop learning, you stop leading. You need to be a learner and, and a leader in your profession. And that's what I've tried to be. And so if you, if you have a passion, and that's the other thing that I think is crucial, is whatever you do, you should be passionate about it. Mm -hmm. And uh, I, people tell me I exude passion in just about everything I do. And that's just me. I don't, <laughs> yeah. I don't have to uh, muster it up and it's, it's not phony. Well, that's it's a good trait me. to have. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, oh yeah. And especially in teaching and kids, kids read phoniness. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, and kids kids thrive off of that, you know, that passion that you have when you're teaching them as well. That kids uh, can feel absolutely. that. Absolutely. You will be successful if if you if this is something you want to do and and you ignore the money. The money is okay. It's not it's not as bad as they say. It it's you're never going to get rich, but you will you will survive. <laughs> and you'll be doing what you want to do. You know, people become artists. Mm-hmm. Artists starve all the time, but they stay artists. Why? Because that's what they want to do. That's where their passion is. And so if your passion is in teaching, then then don't let the negative things get in your way. Uh, I encourage you to go for it because it's been great for me. Uh, uh, it, I can't believe some of the things I've been able to do because of teaching. I have traveled the world because of teaching, training teachers and this sort of thing. I'm teaching at a university, which was a dream of mine, but I never thought would ever become reality. Mm -hmm. I'm not saying I did it for those things, but because I'm passionate and because I've worked hard, those are products of those Mm -hmm. things. Yeah. Well, if someone if someone's listening and wants to pursue a career in teaching and you know wants to reach out to you, how can they can they get a hold of you? Yeah, I wouldn't mind at all if they emailed me. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, my email address, if you're writing this down, is S for Steve. Just put a lowercase S, B R U, E C K E R. 73 at gmail.com yeah and i'll 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 link your email uh in the description below but there you have it mr brucker thank you so much for coming on here and talking to me really appreciate it i hope you know we i i would want to have you on you know maybe a few months down the line to see where things have changed but thank you for coming on appreciate it well, this was fun. Thank you As so you much. As you can tell, I, I enjoy something like this. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Rucker. Have a good one. Okay, Sean. Thank you. All right.